Hello, my name is Gaia Woods. I am an MA candidate in the Clinical Psychology program at Antioch University, Los Angeles, with a specialization in spiritual depth psychology. I am also an MFT trainee at Women's Clinic Counseling Center, where I work under the supervision of Angela Cordova Dunning, MFT, and Carla Becker, MFT. This recording was made to shine light on the perspectives of spiritual depth psychology professors, students, and alumni here at Antioch University, Los Angeles. This recording was made in conjunction with an independent study for the spiritual depth psychology course entitled Life as Practice, Inner Work, Social Responsibility, and Community Service. Please enjoy this conversation between myself, Gaia Woods, and Professor Mark Trotzen, PhD, MFT. Welcome, Mark Trotzen. Thank you so much for um, being here and recording some audio for us. My pleasure. So, if you want to, um, can you give just a brief introduction? What's your um, position here at Antioch? Just something, a little intro about yourself would be wonderful. Okay. So, I'm at Antioch since 2005. And uh, I was brought here by uh, by a woman I was in grad school with, Sandra Golvin, and uh, she we were in grad school together, sort of sitting back in the back of the depth psychology class, just got well not gossiping so much, but we were just you know talking about what the teachers were talking about, and that we would do it as introverts do, kind of from the edge, from <laughs> from the back of the edge. And uh, so she had been teaching here and working in kind of depth psychology, and um, so I, I came in in 2005 and had an interest um, in, in depth psychology, and so as the program became more available to me to teach in depth psychology, um, I did. And at the same time that I was uh, starting at Antioch, I was also training as a Jungian analyst at the Jung Institute. That's in Los right. Angeles on Pico. So, I, and that takes a long time. Yeah. I, I finished that a few years ago. And um, so since then I teach, uh, my teaching faculty, so I teach a lot of the different classes. We teach about four classes, at least a quarter. That's kind of our expectation, every quarter. There's something, something kind of a mix between Nietzsche's eternal recurrence, like you you graduate that we keep on coming back <laughs> so there's like the internal recurrence or a kind of um, you know we're sitting down a karma and we have rebirths every quarter there you go. <laughs> so, there's definitely a cause and effect and a kind of uh, repetition but in the meantime uh, you know while we're doing these other courses and MFT courses I get to uh, teach some of the depth psychology courses, sand play with uh, Sachiko Takiri, my colleague from the Union Institute, oh. and that's always fun. And uh, active imagination. I just did a workshop this quarter. We call it inner theater, but it's active imagination. And we also get into authentic movement, which is a bodily based active imagination. And then I taught the Jungian psychology sort of general course. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a challenge because Jung's hard to teach. It's, it's such a yeah. big. There's such a big subject matter. Um, it's pretty challenging, and uh, I would like to do dream work course, but Matt Silverstein pretty much does the dream work courses, so that's mm-hmm. good. Uh, and then I also teach pretty regularly the erotic transference class. So it's called Psyche and Eros, 
um, transference and countertransference. So an excellent a, course that oh, I yeah, enjoyed very much right. myself as a student here. Yeah, so that's that's kind of uh, the um, that's one of the four core courses in spiritual and depth psychology, and you can take it as your first course. But we kind of think it's probably good to take as more one of your last courses or probably your last course. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, what I can say about that course is that it's about erotic transference, but it's not just about sex and therapy. It's about love and therapy and passion and feeling and therapy and being connected um, in a feeling way in therapy, yeah. uh, which I think is important for Jungians because I think we get a bad rap sometimes of being overly intellectual. So it's good to, um, I mean, it's not, it's not a problem being intellectual, but we don't, uh, we'd be misrepresenting the theory to say that there's not a like erotic connection. Yeah. And uh, the other thing about that course is that it's, I've done it a number of times and it's different every time. So yeah. it really depends, you know, on the different students and kind of the feel of the class, like mm -hmm. where the arrows of the class is. And then I mix things up too. So I pretty much use different books and articles different times. So I'm teaching that right now and it's real, it's real pleasure. Last week we talked about participación mystique. And so we talked about the kind of field condition of psyche, uh, how a condition is created between the therapist and the patient, or even two people, mm -hmm. where there's some quality of the field between them that, that they share that becomes almost like a third thing, something that's more than the sum of the parts of the individual. Mm -hmm. There's some kind of connection through field connection. And actually, last week we uh, looked at a movie that I want to recommend everybody see uh, called Embrace of the Serpent. Mm -hmm. So we used a lot of the Embrace of the Serpent movie to talk about participation mystique, which is, which also characterizes the confrontation and the communication between um, sort of European depth psychology and depth psychology uh, that's indigenous to the rainforest. Uh, so shamanic depth psychology and the encounter between these two traditions and so it was um, it's, it's a really good movie to bring out a lot of the issues and topics that I think are, are really contemporary relevance for depth psychology. What's it called again? Serpent? Embrace of the Serpent. Embrace of the Serpent. Embrace of the Serpent. It's a beautiful Sounds movie. Fascinating. It's fascinating. Beautiful movie. There's a lot to think about and um, uh, I think it's really getting at the cutting edge now of Jungian psychology which is focused more and more on how the insights that Jung maybe initiated or was one of the people who initiated from his base of operations, which was Central Europe, mm -hmm. how that is really um, being welcomed and amplified around the world in different cultural systems, different, yeah. different cultures, different views and attitudes. And so um, there's, a, there's quite a lot of work. Just the last week or two weeks ago, um, there were the Young Institute hosted a speaker, Tom Singer, who was talking about the cultural complex. And that's a really rich concept now in Jungian psychology, which is opening uh, curiosity to how different traditions and cultures around the world use the what Jung had described as some of the features of depth psychology, mm -hmm. dream work, and uh, relation to the unconscious, and uh, you know, shadow and, and things like that. So 
all traditions have had have had their part in this and so we're yeah. just being more open and curiosity to that and it's a really exciting area of depth psychology that sounds yeah fascinating can you um for those who may not be currently studying um depth psychology and listening can you speak a little bit about um just the concept of archetypes um mm -hmm. whether it's from a union perspective or sort of just in general mm -hmm. well when talking about cultural complex um one of the things that i think is initially appealing for Jungian psychology is how important and how um, compelling the images that's the images that come to us when we think about psyche like initially probably through dream work but also when you look around just the kinds of the kind of images and symbols and meaning making activities that we find really compelling and exciting and uh, these these symbols that have a lot of power um, for us and are uh, compelling and uh, moving to us, uh, Jung, you know, borrowed a word to say that what one feature they have that sort of um, uh, that that the power is rooted in is their the nature of the archetype, which there's there's some fundamental basic symbols and images. They come to us through images and symbols, but there's some fundamental fundamental um, uh, modes of existence that uh, ground the different appearances that come through symbols. Mm -hmm. So there could be uh, or ways in which psychic energies are organized or energies of reality are organized and at different times and in different cultures peoples will, ex will experience those energies through um, images that um, are distinctive for the different cultures, but also mm -hmm. have elements in common for different cultures. Mm -hmm. So we can we can kind of see that there's you know some sort of common patterns of energy, common patterns of uh, of interdependence or relationship uh, that come out through these concepts, and that's one of the ways in which uh, we greet each other from different cultures. There's mm -hmm. a kind of there's a bridge of similarity in some sense through the images, and then there's interesting differences as well. So, for example, if you think of, say, the archetype of the mother, the mother mm -hmm. archetype, so clearly it's a it's a pattern of energy and behavior and experience that um, most, if not all, human cultures have some experience of, mm -hmm. even, even though how it's imagined in different cultures might be different. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I like to do in class, uh, class now, is to use Google. You can go on Google in class and write in mother or mother archetype or just mother. Yeah. And then go to the images section of Google and you'll just, and it'll be interesting what Google chooses oh, as, the, yeah. as the images come up from mother. So in a sense, the archetype is mother, the search word, and then Google gives us all the different images. And so you can do that for really any kind of basic pattern. So you could do father, mother, you could do death, you could do mountain, you could okay. do river, you could do, um, uh, you know, love, any of these kinds of complex or even simple patterns of experience and energy and they have uh, different images associated with them. And uh, so in a sense Google is, is, is a way of accessing what has been the collective unconscious or collective even the collective conscious, like what, how different cultures have consciously uh, uh, 
uh, seen, imagined, mother, father, <laughs> love, and have uh, put these images together. This is so, in some sense, everybody from a culture can recognize what is something that's archetypal. Like, mm -hmm. like you say, a child knows. A child knows what a mother looks like, or yes, a child exactly. knows what a river is. So we have these, uh, we, we recognize these patterns. We're kind of, they're almost, it's almost ingrained as a predisposition, our ability to recognize these patterns, even when they come differently, mm -hmm. in, in like different cultures. And I think one of the fascinating things uh, that people find in depth psychology, the thing that draws their attention and fascination is the diversity of images and then also the common element of it to be able to have both of that both of those in a sense opposites something that's recognizable and common and yet has a great diversity and um, uh, has its own sort of individuality has its own uh, uniqueness in so terms of it, its expression in terms of expression so mm -hmm. you have the uniqueness and we have the uniqueness of our own mothers mm -hmm. and then we also have this, uh, the recognition of say mother in these other images mm -hmm. and to be able to uh, hold both the the not necessarily the tension but to hold the whole spectrum of those differences and to recognize mm -hmm. the common element and also the difference. Mm -hmm. So it's like how something is alike and how something is different at the same time. Yeah. And so that's that is uh, um, that's that's a real source of interest in psychology, um, in science and logic. We're we're kind of interested in trying to decide how this thing is different from that. Mm -hmm. But in psychology, I think we're we're um, especially as therapists. We find it more compelling to see how something is different from that and how something is the same, like the elements of mm. connection and the elephants of, uh, elephants, the elements <laughs> of difference. Yeah. And the elephants of difference. So we can see it. So it's really more of a, it's both this and that together than mm -hmm. it's like, than in a scientific sense, that it's going to be either this or that and you have to decide. In psychology, it's always both. Yeah. So there's some, the archetype is a spectrum view that gives this idea that in some sense there's, the mother in a general set of images, and then there's my individual mother, and holding both of those together is, you know, very uh, meaningful. And like, even a child will know the difference. Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, so. that's a very um, clear <laughs> and eloquent description of. I feel like um, I'm glad that you also pointed out that Jungian psychology is uh, a complicated and you know rich, yeah. of course, um, subject, but it's also incredibly challenging to try and understand and even um, though I'm you know still a fresh student studying it I feel as though I put in a great amount of time and still yeah. wrestle with defining simple things like what is an archetype so thank you for that well, clear, not, clear not, quote unquote oh, you know okay. <laughs> description well here in editing whether it's clear but yeah <laughs> I mean it's um, it is really challenging it's challenging to be a teacher or somebody who recommends books about Jungian psychology because mm -hmm. It's hard to find them. There's a lot of people who who uh, work hard to write and try to express uh, some of the concepts because they find them important and they, they want to be able to share them. But it's very difficult to put a um, set of writings together. So as a teacher, it's hard to find the book you would use in a class. Right. And um, there's something that's really elusive in particular about Yanine psychology. So maybe that's just for me, but it's really hard to find that one 
book that you that that really gets it. Mm-hmm. So probably it's just more of a process of exploration, and that yeah. the better book is the one that sets you on the right path of questions and so on. Mm-hmm. And also in depth psychology in general, I think um, the best uh, um, the, those who express best and most accurately the concepts of the psychology may not be the psychologists. Mm. It may be the artists. Mm. And then even people who spontaneously in the culture create the images that become, like we might say, with all due respect, like the folk images, the mm-hmm. images. So that is to say, even like a two-year-old or three-year-old or eight or 12 or 15-year-old could more accurately and adequately express um, important depth psychological uh, symbols and concepts than than somebody who is trying to who's a PhD and or a Jungian analyst who's trying to put it in conceptual terms. Mm-hmm. So I think it's um, to, for a student of depth psychology, it's good to be connected broadly to culture mm-hmm. and the the geniuses of cultural production as much as psychological. Mm-hmm. Theory and um, and books. Yeah. So one of my teachers, who's not a young man but a psychoanalyst, Vitas Panasian, we asked him in grad school and class what he would recommend for us to what should, we should do to become psychoanalysts. Mm-hmm. And he said, and I, I pass this on. This he said the most important thing first is your own analysis. Mm. You learn directly through your own practice, and I think that's that makes sense for people who are in the other component of Antioch depth psychology practice, which is the meditation practices. Right. Um, probably what I'm saying about Jung is true for books about meditation. Mm-hmm. It's hard to find the right one because in a way it's more of a practice and process than it is a mm-hmm. set of principles and precepts, although it has both. So you kind of have to do it, you know it by doing it, and it's yeah. the same thing with depth psychology. So, so Panasian, Dr. Panasian emphasized the importance of your own analysis, that's your direct experience of like jumping in the river. Mm-hmm. And then the second one is your supervision. Mm-hmm. So the person who would be your teacher, your supervisor, um, you know, your guide, your uh, person who challenges you, your interlocutor, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. as you're doing your training, which is what you have now. And my supervisor is uh, Union as well. Oh. She's not, um, um, she didn't train at the Union Institute, but she, she's a spiritual depth person and she's okay. Union, yeah. So. Yeah, that, that may be mean. We can ask separately what's the difference between an analyst and non-analyst, because I might have a different type that of view like, about That sounds like a setup for a good joke. <laughs> but just, but, well, no, it's just, it, it's, it's yeah, it's sometimes not funny how people make distinctions about who counts and who and yeah. what these different levels are. Like we all have our levels, our PhD and our BA and this and oh, our, yeah. our degrees and our certificates and things like that. And like what do those mean in terms of doing the work? Yeah. But back to Panasian, so you got those analyst, your own supervisor. Uh-huh. The third thing he said, and this is where it was a little surprising, those first two things make sense. Uh-huh. The third thing he says is to read widely and broadly and deeply in literature and culture, mm. music, literature, culture, art, history, like basically humanities. Yeah. Like uh, attend deeply to the humanities, the, hum- the human, uh, the human sciences, as it were, the Geisteswissenschaft and the human ways, the the kind of studies of being human. 
And then fourth, and kind of a distant fourth, is read psychological text, psychology theory, research, mm. things like that. So in schools, those are often some of the first things you read. And those are, the, in his view, and he was telling us this when we were in a school, he said that would really be the last or the order of uh, order of importance would the last thing, and so that would justify you to put your Beyond book aside and watch something off Netflix, <laughs> because you're going to find as, you're going to get as much psychology and learn as much psychology perhaps uh, from uh, some part of the popular culture. Yeah, because that's where the archetypes are imagined, that's how they're actively imagined in the culture right now. So, And then you can pick up your beyond to help give you some insight about how to think about those images. Yeah. Or your Jung or your Joseph Campbell to think about those images. But mm -hmm. in a sense, Joseph Campbell's in the service of understanding Star Wars. Star Wars is the cultural artifact. Star, Star Wars is the depth psychological artifact of our culture in the 70s at that time. Mm -hmm. Joseph Campbell is, is an interpreter that helps us to understand what Star Wars means. Mm -hmm. Or for the director of Star Wars, how to produce it, because he, he actually was influenced by Joseph Campbell to, to come up with that story. Oh, interesting. But it also it hit, because I'm old enough to remember when that came out and how big it was, just like Harry Potter was for people who are younger. Like yeah. It really hits a phenomenon. And so um, it was, it was uh, responsive and hitting and, and uh, um, exciting people. It's, it was some level of psyche that was already part of the question. Right. It was, you know, and that's why I think people collectively grasp onto that because it's already speaking to something that's collectively an interest. In the same way, Jung, um, in his later years, in the 50s, it was two of the events historically in the 50s that he he thought were the most important were the uh, fascination in general culture and in pop culture and movies with UFOs and mm -hmm. aliens because there's a lot of science fiction movies in the 50s about aliens yeah. and meeting aliens like the day the earth stood still and all of that mm -hmm. in fact the first class I took in Jungian psychology the professor had us look at the uh, the film um, was it when the world the world sits still, or, oh, yeah. uh, and then uh, the day the world, the day the world, yeah. the day the world still, and to uh, think about that uh, as an illustration of some of the Jungian concepts that we we're looking at. Interesting. And so Jung was really uh, fascinated with that co collective fascination with UFOs at that time. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that he noticed in the fifties, it was probably in the fifties, is that uh, the Catholic Church, uh, the Pope, and the Catholic Church. Um, had a put out encyclical, I think, where he recognized, he said that um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, has assumed her place in heaven. Like she's assumed, it's called the Assumption of, the assumption of Mary. And so she was, uh, the church recognized that she took her place and her rightful place with the, with the Father, the Son, and the, and the Spirit, apparently the Holy Spirit. And Jung was very fascinated with that because he's into fours. So when you have the Trinity, that's that's sort of you know you're waiting for the force to arrive, and mm -hmm. he loved the idea in the fifties collectively, how in the Catholic Church Mary now became the fourth. Oh, interesting. As the became became recognized, Mary was always there, but they became recognized collectively part of the consciousness. Now it was the reintegration 
of the feminine into what had been uh, the tr the trinity of the, of the Christian uh, divine uh, trinity, and the, uh, for a lot of reasons, he was excited about the feminine and Mary having a back and assuming a place as the fourth in that. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so, this is a similar way in which, in his Jung's notion of personality. Um, Four plays an important role. We have characteristics of thinking, feeling, intuition, and sensation. Those are four mm, parts. Right. And for each of us, as a personality, individual personality, you know, kind of our phenotype is that we have some qualities that are more um, prominent. And right. so somebody's a thinking type, so I'm a thinking type, and that's clear. So it's a prominent thinking quality. Mm -hmm. But he noticed that the opposite quality is one that often for that person who's had such a prominent um, uh, expression of one quality, the mm -hmm. other one was less prominent, less developed, or sort of more in the background. So that would be, for a thinking person, that might be feeling, mm -hmm. is more in the background. Right. And so that would be the fourth, or even what he called the inferior function. Mm -hmm. And um, and that is the one that he associates with the person's soul work. So mm -hmm. as, the, as we grow up as the children, and we grow up and get our profession, we tend to um, operate best and most and primarily according to our first function our primary function mm -hmm. right so an athlete will have sensation function you know philosopher will have thinking function so mm -hmm. but as they grow older their path of individuation of bringing all the elements together and bringing the fourth in mm -hmm. uh, which he did associate with bringing the, the feminine aspect of soul in is often in terms of your fourth function uh, so that's part of your development as an individual to um, integrate the less developed function, which is more of your soul function, which is the fourth function. Yeah. So in the 50s, collectively, he thought on a collective scale, um, the Western Christian culture was doing that and, and had lost out from being uh, dissociated from the feminine mm. in so many ways. And he, that was one of the things that he thought was actually hopeful. He, he, that was one of his good days when he recognized that okay, there's a there's the possibility for hope in this culture that we have the integration of, we're beginning to have the integration of the feminine back into yeah to, to uh, the Christian worldview mm. and um, otherwise he was pretty depressed about the state of affairs of mm. the people in the 50s and 60s with um, nuclear mm. weapons and things like that but yeah it was a good day when he when the assumption of Mary for him. Yeah, we could use a little more integration of the feminine in right. today's culture, but we won't, um, we won't go down that road. Yeah. So I guess my last sort of question for you is just, um, and you sort of have already answered it in terms of that it's really specific to the individual, but just in terms of people who are interested in learning more about spiritual depth psychology or union psychology or even um, erotic transference for maybe people who are practicing as therapists, if you have any favorite books that are sort of your go-to's or that you recommend a lot to students? Just any mm. of your reading reading list suggestions I'd love to hear. Well, um, I, uh, I usually switch up my readings just to keep them interesting and then to, you know, in response to how people are taking them. If, um, but then sometimes I'm not the best judge of it because I'll not be sure. I wonder if a reading is getting across, and then it seems like it's mm -hmm. not. But then I talk to people later, and they said, "Oh, that was really impactful." Mm -hmm. So it's kind of hard to tell in class sometimes, especially in class. 
because there's this overwhelming archetype of the apple with a bite out of it. Like, as a teacher, these days in class, all you see are the apple end of the Apple computers. (laughs) So it's kind of hard to tell what's going on behind the computers. You know, all I just see is that damn apple that was bought as a bite out of. Yeah. (laughs) And so so it reminds me, I'm looking there and it reminded me of like, this is the cost of of eating of the fruit, the the tree of knowledge (laughs) of good and evil. Symbology there for you. So it's it's both, it's you get the good and the bad come together. So, Uh, but it's always, it's kind of often hard for me to tell what's going on with the people behind the computer. Yeah, I I would imagine that it comes through in the papers and maybe in other conversations, hopefully. Hopefully. It does. So, but in a way that's okay too because Jungian psychology and therapists in general tend to be introverted and that's a certain personality type. So Mm -hmm. I can kind of look at it and see that that, um, people can have a really serious, focused, dedicated, authentic connection to... This, their own psyche and their own introverted connection to psyche and it may not be apparent to those outside often like how that's connected but it's, mm-hmm. it's apparent to me in the program over time that people have that connection and we, and we share it and that's okay so it's okay to be able to create an introverted space mm-hmm. and so readings and culture in general are fit into those introverted spaces for people so when I try to pick articles and books and things like that I try to pick things that might um, help to be a companion and guide for people who were in that introverted um, exploration mm-hmm. and then hopefully some of them are such that it encourages conversation and engagement mm-hmm. outside um, so in terms of which which books well it just just uh, this Last week, I mean, we spent a lot of time in the erotic transference class working with that film, Embrace of the Serpent. So mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of material that, that that's important there. One of the good things about um, YouTube, and oh, actually, I could just tell. So um, I have a YouTube channel, oh, yeah. and over the years, um, I, uh, I I put I add videos to classes that I teach. So if you look up my name. Google my name in YouTube, the site will come up, and there's 50 or 60 different sort of classes, mm-hmm. like title, and those are videos that I use in class. Not all of them, some of them I pick and choose and things like that. So these are, um, so that's my little, it's not like a, but I guess it's like people who do blogs that are more organized. It's just easier mm-hmm. just to click add to. So they're not curated really, they're just mm-hmm. all, they're not organized. Like people who do blogs are actually it probably takes them a long time to have a nice presentation of all their ideas and who they are. It's nothing like that. <laughs> so, but there's just a lot of material there that might be a good place rather than give books to point people to, to kind of give uh, examples of, as I'm teaching the classes over time, some of the things, some of the ideas and that are sort of appealing or that seem to fit. Yeah. So I guess go to the YouTube channel and go through, look through some of those. Yeah, um, I think that's a great suggestion because your YouTube channel is really good. Right. Yeah. I and mean, there's a lot, like you said, there's a lot of different resources from yeah. a lot of different sort of areas for your... For different classes. Yeah, for and, different classes. And, exactly. you know, there's there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of stuff that's of, of not of negligible value on there. So, like, I've gone through and picked things out. And so somebody mm-hmm. kind of went through and already picked those things out and... Um, so I, I would say that those that might be a good place to start. 
yeah. I, I can't really remember any books <laughs> right now. Um, other than the last one we just we just used um, the, the talking about participación mystique mm. and um, just following up on what Dr. Panagian said too I think just to uh, to be a student of psychology it's actually part of your homework to keep track of what's what movies are coming out mm-hmm. and um, what's even on Netflix yeah. and I can tell you so Panagian's another example he's a person who as a teacher he's he's a really high-level psychoanalyst he's very thoughtful very deep he's kind of like you know how meditators are people who meditate many years they have a more subtle they give the impression like they have a more subtle grasp of consciousness because they've been practicing so mm-hmm. anyway that's my sense yeah so he has that in terms of psychoanalysis and yet one of the one of the things that he's most excited about and who, who you know he'll just talk for hours about is Kobe Bryant like he <laughs> loves Kobe Bryant he loves the Lakers and Kobe Bryant okay. and you would you know so and but there's a lot that's important like there's a lot that he's learned in these subtle states of mind that actually come out and have a connection with that. Mm-hmm. And then another woman in the Jungian tradition is Marian Woodman. Mm-hmm. Now Marian Woodman I studied with and she um, she is a number of books and it's worth looking at her books. But as a as a person she would she she was very much into poetry and Emily Dickinson and you know uh, T. S. Eliot and poems. Those are important to her. But she also loved the Olympics. And she loved um, the Who Queen doesn't? and the Queen Elizabeth, and she loved yeah. and she loved the Academy Awards. Yeah. Okay, so now she's a serious person. She's like a high level depth psychology consciousness, mm-hmm. and she was able to get so much from the opening ceremonies of like the I remember the uh, Olympics in Greece. Like she was mm-hmm. just, it was it was as good as any myth. And uh, yeah. and the Academy Awards and all of that. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying that the. The Jungian psychology doesn't have to just be arrogant and rarefied and intellectual. The activities that are happening on TV today that are part of the culture mm-hmm. are relevant to for contemplation from the Jungian perspective. A few weeks ago, Tom Singer spent a day talking about the phenomena of Donald Trump in the United States mm-hmm. in a thoughtful, mindful way in the framework of the Jungian perspective. And uh, it's, it's, it's useful to, to be able to step back and think about rather than be directly caught up in the experience of being sucked down in a whirlpool. Mm-hmm. That, that doesn't sound uncomfortable. Like if you could possibly get on the shore and reflect on the whirlpool going on without being panicked and struck in it. Yeah. That, that's one of the things you can do in depth psychology is pull yourself sort of off to the shore. It feels like you can't, but actually, if you have, if you will, if you will it, you can actually move away from the whirlpool, sit back, and mm-hmm. reflect and contemplate from the depth psychology perspective, yeah, and then and think about what's going on, and then think about where your place is and what you contribute. And it's like that you are not different. We're not different than that. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's the last thing I'd say from a Jungian perspective. That's the nature of shadow work. Right. So what it is that we despise in another person or fear in another person is really also an avenue for discovering what it is we may despise at this moment or fear in ourselves. Right. It's an opportunity for that with the with the uh, tools of depth psychology. So that's probably a good place to yeah. finish up in terms of like how the approach to take for this 
this practice. Yeah, I think that's a, an excellent point. So, well, thank you so much for um, your time. It's been an enjoyable and insightful conversation. Thank, thank you, you so for much. Inviting me. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. This project is made with the assistance and supervision of Professor Jacqueline Pinn, Antioch University, and the Spiritual Depth Psychology Program here at Antioch University, Los Angeles.